Thanks for tuning in to The Collective Voice. I'm your host, Raisha Clark. Hey, hey, lovelies, this is Raisha, and I'm so glad you're listening in to our podcast today. I have a woman veteran, obviously, because it's the month of November, and I'm serving all of my veterans in my podcast this week, or actually this month. Um, We are going to be talking about some things that are a little mm, politically incorrect, let's say. I think one of the things that I, I had hoped my podcast could do would be an authentic reflection of some of the experiences that women have in the service. And I have some amazing guest today that is really down with the cause. So anyway, <laughs> Taylor, hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Thank you so much for um, letting me do this. Oh yes, honey. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um it's a it's a really cloudy, cool November day here and so I'm just kinda you know, I don't know, ref- I get really reflective on melon and melancholy on gloomy days and so it's one of those days and I'm like, you know what? Mm mm. I feel a good podcast coming. So yeah, it's good timing then, yeah. <laughs> really good timing. Okay, so tell me, what branch of service were you in? I was in the U.S. Navy for five and a half years uh, as a nuclear field electrician on board an aircraft carrier, John C. Stennis, outside of Bremerton, Washington. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I'm former Army, and, you know, I always have a lot to say, especially about people that are in the Navy, but my gosh, man, you did some awesome stuff. So you probably were in a male dominant fields then right oh big time yeah so yeah. I, we had a in our i mean i was obviously an aircraft carrier is about the size of a small city mm-hmm. we've got about five thousand people on board when mm-hmm. we're on deployment for you know six seven ten months at some times and in our department of 400 we had 35 women oh my goodness so it was very male dominated i had two women including myself in our actual work center of about 23 people yeah, yeah, I get it. So, you know, my last few years in the Army, I was medical maintenance, and yeah, it's the same thing. Well, I mean, even when I was an ammunition specialist, it was a lot. I was attached to a lot of artillery or infantry or cavalry um, platoons, and yeah, those are all males. And so I get it. You know, you you come across some very interesting experiences being uh the only female in the mix of a bunch of males, some good, some bad. I mean, most of my experiences were good, but you definitely have those experiences dealing with male soldiers that really think that they can say whatever and it's cool. And it's like, huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, yeah. And then it's funny you say that because the, my two rules when I got onto the ship were, I don't want to see your junk and mm-hmm. don't call me the C word. And very mm-hmm. quickly, both of those were used and yeah. shown. And so mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. kind of have to roll with it because it's not worth making a big deal out of it. You don't have any female leadership to really turn to who get it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to just hold to do is deal with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, just suck it up and drive on. I mean, that is said mm-hmm. so much in the Army, it's not even funny. And, yeah, you try to establish boundaries. You know, we talk about that in the mental health field. To establish the boundaries around you, you know, and that might work in the civilian sector, but it damn sure didn't work in the Army. Let me tell you, you put some boundaries out there, and people push past them and laugh at you as they're doing it. And it's like, huh, all right, so much for that. So you end Right, up- yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. So okay. So five <laughs> years in the navy. In the navy. So what did it look like for you as a woman in the navy? Did you, you know, on this aircraft carrier in this male dominant field? I mean, did you have a clique of women that you would hang out with, or was it was it a little less all women stay together, no interaction with the males? What was your experience like? Um, it really kind of depended on the person, and I learned very quickly that, well, I mean, first of all, there were so few of us that all of us in the whole department were, we lived in the same birthing, so we all mm-hmm. had all our beds and stuff were together, so that helped a little bit because you have that kind of safe space, I guess you could call it, to lean on, but that just really kind of depended on, some women were really, really good at adapting and just kind of turning into one of the guys Mm. and other women really didn't deal with it very well. And they were the ones that tended to stand out and have to work so much harder to kind of prove themselves. And you had to do that anyway, as a a woman in the division, just because there were so many guys. And I learned very quickly that I was going to have to work extremely hard, about twice as hard as any of the other newer guys that I showed up at the same time with to be able to, kind of be treated as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate and, and civilians will hear this and think that you're exaggerating, mm-hmm. but, I, but that that's the truth. You know, that's exactly how it is. And it's not like we're talking about you served in 1954. We're talking about just a few years ago, you know, this isn't uh-huh. so far removed that it's not, you know, uncommon to see women still feeling that same thing today in uniform. So, whew, you know, I, I don't even really know what we can do, you know, because it seems as though it's just this thing when you see the pay discrepancies between males and females in the civilian sector. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, civilians see it. We see it in the military. we got to work just as hard. Like when I was the shop foreman over some civilians, I had 16 civilian and and Army soldiers that worked underneath me in my maintenance shop. And being the woman there, I was the only woman that had ever supervised that shop. And so it was this thing of every little thing that was unknown to them, anyone that was working as a subordinate or that they didn't feel was, you know, the right thing to do, I was challenged. So I was constantly in my supervisor's office justifying the decisions that I was making, which made Mm -hmm. my time on the floor supervising a lot less, which meant that there was more room for air to come. So it looked as though I was not doing my job well managing 
But really, it's like, okay, well, we're going to be burning some midnight hours because I'm going to get my main job done, and then I'll put out fires in between that, you know. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate, but I see people, especially women, getting, how can you say this? Not played, but you know how males will toy with you just to kind of get you off your game or to see if they can, you know, and then Mm -hmm. to fall back to say, well, you're a woman. I mean, what'd you expect? Oh, I tell you. Mm. Yeah, no, I get it. That's totally, I've, I've <laughs> exactly the same experience I've, I've had. And then a number of other women that I've talked with, you know, after getting out have dealt with, and, and it seems to just span all branches. You know? mm-hmm. And it's funny that you mentioned that with being you know, the first female foreman. And, um, you know, it took me two years of really like you said, burning that midnight oil, going above and beyond, you know, taking on all of these crappy little jobs to, to show that I could do stuff and, you know, working extra hard to do more maintenance and writing mm-hmm. more packages and taking on all of these other collateral duties, you know, that the guys before me who had had this job were just terrible at. And so I would have to turn around entire programs to make them better and then I wouldn't even get the credit for it as soon as I passed it on to somebody else Mm -hmm. and it took me two years on top of just learning my job on the ship but also you have to qualify to stand watch stations because we're running a nuclear power plant and you know I I was the fastest qualifier in my entire division in the history of that station and so you go girl (laughs) (laughs) but I still had to you know they would tag along some idiot with me Mm -hmm. to go through the boards because they needed to pass too and I was moving farther ahead you know so it's just all of the time and effort you have to spend qualifying so you're studying you're practicing the watch stations and so that's a five-hour group of time then you have your work day where you're doing maintenance and taking on all these other jobs that you're responsible for and then maybe in a three or four hour window of time you have your your downtime to either sleep work out eat shower Mm -hmm. or just relax and so it's just it's incredibly stressful and it took me a full two years on board to even get to the point where they would let me be the supervisor of our our watch center and then at that point, too, um, they put me, they paired me with another uh, petty officer, another first class. He was an E6. I was an E5 at the time. Mm-hmm. And because they didn't think that I could handle it by myself, even mm-hmm. though I had done all this other work, qualified super fast, was in charge of the workstation for all these other little jobs and perfected these programs that they had come up with and mm-hmm. got us through. A period of the, the, so when we're not out on deployment, we're in the shipyard and we're pairing with civilian shops to help fix things and kind of replace parts and all this other stuff. And so we were in the pier um, for a good six months and I had everything organized to the point where we got out on time and all of our stuff passed with, with flying colors, but they would not let me handle that position by myself. I had to be paired with another male who had zero leadership experience in his 10 years in the Navy. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and gave him the title and didn't give me the title. So I was doing all of the work for it, but he was the one that got to make the final decision on all of those um, those things. And so that was really kind of degrading. Yeah. And, oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. But that's just the way it was. Yeah, and and I think that's more common than it's not. <sighs> and yeah, you know, I, I I mean, I think that's belittling, and I think sometimes people will assume that we're being dramatic or we're playing the woman card or the female card. You know, you're just being overly. What that is? Sensitive. What is that? Yeah, I know. I still have. To, yeah. You need to get one of those. That, you girl, me and you both, right? Like, if I could pull one out, if I ever figure out what it is, I totally would. But since I can't, you know, I'm just going to continue to strive on and kick butt everywhere I go. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, oh, it's frustrating. So, so what, what was the thing that made you decide, okay, it's, it's time for me to get out? Um, so my, my husband and I had decided that it was just, it was time to move on. I was getting so deflated and knocked down constantly. And it was just, I was ready to move on. I was too angry all the time and just getting depressed and didn't want to even be there anymore. And that was really hard for me because I put so much work into it and Mm -hmm. got just nothing to show for it. And, um, they kept skipping over me to qualify this, um, additional watch station that would have been the person that sits next to the leading officer to to control all the electrical uh, decisions with both power plants for the entire ship. And I did everything I possibly could. And every single time I came up to do um, a practice run to finally qualify and be done with it, they would put a guy in that seat every time something came up to do that. And so it was just constantly being passed over. And I decided I'm done. You know what? I'm our our oldest at that point was four. And I thought, God, I don't want to be here forever. Busting my ass not going anywhere. And then, you know, be too old to have more kids and get our I just, just so I our focus shifted to our family. Mm-hmm. And we decided that you know, it was at the time, too, where I was up for applying for rotation, and so I would have been able to go to a shore command, and so we decided that we would get pregnant, and then, you know, I would get transferred off and be able to get out at that point because I just, I wasn't going to re-enlist, and my uh, enlistment was going to be up in a little over a year at that point, so mm-hmm. we got pregnant with our, our second son, was very excited, I just remember the feeling of dread having to go into my chief's office and tell him that I was pregnant. Like I was ashamed. It was like I was a teenager coming to my parents' house telling them that I had gotten knocked up. And that wasn't wow. the case at all. Like I, it's just, and that was the attitude that they they had about it. And then after we, I'd left the office, my my divisional chief told me, that you know he he asked me okay are you going to keep it and I said yes <laughs> keep wow. it wow um Ugh. and then asked told me that given the opportunity he would kick me down the stairs so that I would lose the baby because I was too valuable to leave the work center couldn't work without me and I just thought <laughs> I was 
I didn't really know what to say. I, I, right. I still kind of think about how I could have responded to that in another way. And I was just, I was so angry because he'd never given me any recognition before. And now he's saying I'm too valuable. Mm-hmm. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like who, who in their right mind says that to anyone? Right. Let alone someone who wants to be pregnant and is happy about it. Oh, so, and then just, you know, yeah, the... went down to the, and then I went down to the plant and told my division, the guys in my division that I, my husband and I were pregnant and that I would be leaving at my 20 week point because then you have to be off the ship for um, safety reasons for, mm-hmm. to have access to gynecological services and whatnot. So <laughs> at that point, they, uh, one of the guys in my division punched me in the stomach. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Punched you in your pregnant womb. Are you serious, yeah. Taylor? I'm oh my. serious. I'm serious. I'll give you names later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, needless to say, my, my, the rest of the guys in my division handled that for me, and I didn't have to tell my husband until That's after good. I had left the ship, and he had left the ship. So That was probably um, best. Was just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just, that's the kind of thing, those are the things you have to deal with. And yeah. it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. You know, I feel better that my division had my back on that one, you know, and took care of the problem for me, but. Right. Yeah. Now that is some good to come out of that. Cause I think that that can actually happen to where you get this bond, regardless of gender, where people just kind of look out for each other and eventually they have your back or, you know, in those moments to where we might, you know, not always see eye to eye, but when I know that I need to step up and have your back, I'm there for you. You know, that's, that's nice to see that that happened. And yeah, they squared that fellow away. Wow. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, like, I don't mean to paint that it's, it was all a negative experience because it wasn't there. I had a really great time I would do it again I I miss and still talk with a lot of the guys that I was in with Mm -hmm. and so you always have that too but Mm -hmm. it's just the stuff that you have to overcome to get to that point is ridiculous I don't know if I told you about the coupon that I got either that was I laugh Mm -hmm. about it now because of the guy that it came from but one of the guys in the division gave me a little coupon and it, it was good for one free abortion and it had a picture of a coat hanger on it Oh, Taylor. Oh, my. So you did warn people this was going to be very on PC. See, see, and and that's exactly what I want people to know, because I'm telling you, women get an image painted of them when they speak out, you know, hashtag me too, heaven forbid you speak out and tell your truth. But this stuff happens, even if it seems absurd, like I could not imagine that and I don't even know why anyone would even consider that you know funny you can look at it now because it was part of your story and laugh but in that moment he thought that that would be funny or thought it would you know get laughs from people that is just it's amazing to me the boldness I think some people have that's for sure Oh, I know yeah and I think Mm -hmm. now like what what would happen in a similar, like if that same scenario happened in an office setting. Right. Yeah. No, I mm-hmm. would be fired that mm-hmm. day. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But oftentimes our justice system while in the military is nowhere near like that. It could have been, no. are you sure you received that? I don't think he meant anything by it. You're just being sensitive. Quit being such a pansy, you know. Oh, mm -hmm. your hormones are out of control. Go take some PMS pills. Like we are the ones that are told that we need to toughen up and thicken our skin when we have mm -hmm. these types of things happen to us and then the issue itself if it is handled it's not typically done publicly and that's the part you embarrass somebody real big that kind of helps to nip some negative behaviors in the bud but you mm -hmm. know oftentimes that that doesn't really happen so so then tell me a little bit about your overcoming because you mentioned earlier that you know when you guys decided as a family, it was best for you to go ahead and get out because you're depressed and angry and just feeling like that was starting to consume you a little bit. Tell me about that transition of getting past that because you're in a much better place now. But how did you I get am, there? Yeah. Um, so it did take a lot of time. And it did, I mean, I'm not going to say that it was quick because it wasn't. It was a couple of years of getting through that anger talking about it and mm -hmm. help just helping to understand that there wasn't something wrong with me because I was angry or because I was depressed. You know, that's something that happens to most people. If you put them under so much stress, it's, you know, that's a normal human response is to, right. to feel. And sometimes you just get to the point where you can't feel anymore. And I didn't, it took me a long time to trust Mm -hmm. again and mm -hmm. um to let go of some of the anger and that's that's where talking about it really helped a lot when i when i first got out um i started college just like most veterans when they get out they think oh, okay well, i'm gonna go to school now <laughs> and so that's what i did <laughs> me too <laughs> after we had our our son <laughs> mm -hmm. and we i was fortunate enough to go to um the university here in Wisconsin, where I am, that had a veterans lounge. And that was just the best. It was a safe space. There were other veterans there, women too, who could really understand and connect and from, you know, all, all four branches even. It was a nice place to just be able to vent and talk about different experiences and look back on the good and the bad and compare, you know, and that that helped me significantly just talking peer to peer and then seeing some of these guys who are dealing with PTSD and depression still, but are able, were able to really work through it too. Mm -hmm. And I did cut off my medication, which was wonderful. Um, I'm not, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of, you know, if you, it's just like any other, illness you know if you mm -hmm. have high blood pressure you take a blood pressure medication you know you mm -hmm. have depression and you feel like you can't manage it by you know doing guided meditations or whatever it is that calms you mm -hmm. then you take a medication and yeah. yeah but it's such a it's a band-aid though and I feel like the best thing that worked for me was just being able to talk about all of that stuff with other people and then with people who can give me great advice and ways to deal with it. 
So did you ever get actual mental health counseling or did your PCP recommend uh, medications to help manage your depression? Um, so that's <laughs> funny you say that. Uh, when I was in the Navy still active duty, because um, I hit my 20 week point with my pregnancy and had to go transfer to the hospital and I worked at the hospital for the last year I was in. Mm-hmm. And um, at that facility, they had a group that would meet and we would talk. There were a lot of angry. I was the only woman in there, of course. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of angry guys in there. One, two of them in particular, very angry with women. Mm-hmm. And so being able to give them a different side of things to look at kind of helped them, I feel like. Oh. And that really helped me to understand the value of talking with somebody that mm-hmm. could give me a better um, outlook on it. And so mm-hmm. that's when I went and saw a psychiatrist. And the first thing that he wanted to do, of course, was put me on medication because that's a, that's a fix-all. Mm-hmm. But I told him I, I'm pregnant. I'm not doing that. And it was uh, it was really helpful because I feel like at that point he really kind of understood that I wasn't there to get meds. I was there to try and learn how to deal with this better. And that was, after that, we, it was great because he gave me some strategies. He helped me just vent and talk about things and kind of get to the source of why I was so angry and where my depression was stemming from and things like that. And that was probably the best decision I ever made. And I'm so glad that I didn't, um, I wasn't afraid to go do that. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out, when I got out, then they I, they wanted to send me to another mental health provider. And I, I sat down with him for a couple minutes and realized that his whole demeanor was very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And I never saw him again. I just left. So I think finding the right person that fits with what your goals are mm-hmm. is like the 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 key. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I think that's big. I mean, you hit on a couple of things that I think are really powerful is that you you sought help, you found, you know, that group therapy actually has a place. I I am a big proponent of it for a lot of reasons. Um if you're in the civilian sector and you're uh, you don't have insurance, let's say, but you you really want to get some mental health help, you know, group therapy is a great place to start. It's oftentimes a lot cheaper than a, an individual session would be. You have peers, but you also have a mental health professional there leading the group and kind of guiding mm-hmm. the group and even teaching in some types of group settings. But then for you to go to a psychiatrist and advocate for yourself, say, I don't I don't want to pill right now, but I got to figure this out. I need you to do your job and help me figure this out. And, and, and you speaking up for yourself was huge because, yes, we can start medication. But I think that for me as a therapist, that comes with time for most or many of the issues that I see clients for. We can mm-hmm. get to medication, but let's let's start here first. Let's try talk therapy and see where that takes us. And there's various forms that I can do talk therapy with different types of techniques, but I think it's a great place to really get to the root of things. And it seems like that's what you did. But then Mm -hmm. you also knew 
who wouldn't work for you. And I think it's it's kind of the same. You were great to find someone that worked for you. But, you know, shopping around for a therapist is okay, too. <laughs> you know, you're not always going to mesh. And so that's why, you know, I have really kind of limited who it is that I do sessions with to people that I really and truly think understand me and I can really understand them and it makes for a better relationship because if you and your therapist don't really get a relationship it's hard for you to really be vulnerable and open up and talk about the things that you're really there to talk about and work through so kudos for you for getting all of this stuff kind of worked out because it's it makes a difference I mean you had kids so so what does life look like now you had a couple of kids and now what um, so now we have four littles. Yay. And I know. <laughs> and I'm so much happier now. I went to, you know, finished school, um, got my master's degree even, and now oh. I'm a, not an electrician. <laughs> I'm a dietitian <laughs> now. Oh, and, another um, ish, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, I'm able to utilize some of that mental health counseling that I have learned and mm-hmm. I have benefited so much from in helping people kind of get back to having that healthy relationship with food yeah. and um, you know just so much of the the stuff that comes along with trying to lose weight or gain weight or overcome some type of um, disease you know, I work a lot with people who have been newly diagnosed with diabetes and that's a whole beast on and of itself and so it's I like that I get to use some of my experience to help other people the same way that I was helped through mm-hmm. my experiences mm-hmm. yeah I love that I love that so I'm so glad that at the end of the day you have expanded your family you and your husband are okay you are helping other people I think folks that serve in the military for a little bit of time the majority of them have a helping spirit that's in them so you've taken that now to the civilian sector and you're helping folks overcome something and and navigating through something Um, I could totally use your services because I got about 50 50 pounds. I'm like, oh my God. No, I went to my class reunion and I realized I have gained 50 pounds since I graduated 20 years ago. And so I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, what is really going on in my life? So I was like, do I need to join the army again to get back in shape? So it's better. I just got to move my butt. That's what I got to do. I've got to move. I am, I, I move so much getting kids shuffled from here to there that I don't do any purposeful moving, like exercising mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, oh, that's that's a whole other podcast right there, girl. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think on the flip side, you could probably just switch to you know steady diet of cigarettes and coffee and MREs, and probably weigh about the same in about four months. This is <laughs> true. Part of that, yeah. <laughs> This is true too. Gosh, those good old MREs. Mm, mm. (laughs) All right, love. So if you were to tell a woman that's looking to join the military today, any snippet of your story or even just offer her a piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I would say don't trust recruiters because recruiters are liars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know, like, um, 
advocate for yourself and really get to the bottom of what it is you want to do, what you want to get out of it, and then find something that is a good fit that will make you happy and keep you on that track to, you know, achieving your goals. And Mm -hmm. so, and that can be so many different things because each branch has something different to offer. It's so important to talk to people who have actually done that job Mm -hmm. to get a real idea of what is involved, you know, Mm -hmm. because I had aircraft guys telling me what my job was going to be. And it was, we don't ever touch the aircraft. (laughs) So wow. Yeah. But I mean, that's what's out there because your recruiters are, their job is to get you in. And so just, I would say, be weary of that. And then as a woman joining any branch, just remember to an extent to have a thicker skin because it is going to be much harder than it would be for a guy in your same position. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really start seeing the differences either until you get out of boot camp because you're with other women. Mm -hmm. You go to your school, depending on what that is, you know, your job might be male dominated. It might have a good balance of men and women. It might be all women. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But just mm-hmm. being aware of what that's going to look like and, you know, your upbringing, say that you're a woman who's got five brothers and you're used to that, then it's probably, you're probably going to be better set up to deal with it than yeah. someone who's fresh out of high school and, you know, has all this great leadership experience and really wants to go and get a better life for themselves and travel and do all that. Right. You've got to be aware of what you're getting into. Yep. So I just yep. say research, research. Yeah. Yeah. That's big. And that's really good advice. And I think, you know, a, a lot of women that I ask that question to that serve will say pretty much the same thing. Now, what it is you're getting into. I certainly didn't. When I joined, I joined because I was tired of wasting money in college. And I just mm-hmm. jumped into there. And like you said, the recruiter told me I only had three options. And then I get into the army and I realized that there's over 100 MOS jobs available. So it's like, hmm, okay, mm-hmm. Mr. Recruiter. So yeah, definitely research, you know, make a plan for yourself. Those things that you were just talking about. I mean, it's a big deal. You might want to go and travel for free, like the commercials says but know what the cost is because nothing in life is free there's always going to be a cost attached somewhere in the fine print of life it's gonna cost Mm -hmm. you yeah (laughs) that's a good way to look at it like that Well, I have really, really appreciated talking to you today. I mean, I just, I knew you were going to have an authentic, you know, approach to what it is that you were going to share today. And I really appreciate that because I think we oftentimes are taught and told that we have to sugarcoat aspects of our lives to accommodate a society that doesn't think women experience certain things in the military and yeah, you you let it out there, and I appreciate that because I'm like, girlfriend, I can relate. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. So thank you for being true to you because I can guarantee you that's probably helping another woman somewhere that's suffering in silence that thinks that she's misunderstood, nobody understands, and her voice doesn't matter. So thank you for being you because you're helping somebody somewhere. Good. I'm so glad. Thank you so much. I just I think that there's – a little bit of a misconception that you have to be diagnosed with PTSD 
as a veteran to be able to get help. And that's not true at all. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you shared that because that's not the case. Help is available in a lot of different forms and fashion. So we just have to mm-hmm. explore those options. And if it takes you taking that first step. So, you know, you did it. You showed how you can go from anger and bitterness and depression and come to a thriving family, having a graduate degree and working in a field that you enjoy. It's possible. I've done it. It is. You've yeah. done it. Yeah, it is absolutely absolutely possible. So I just appreciate you for sharing and being real today, Taylor. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been wonderful. You have a good evening. You too. Thank you so much. Okay, hon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.